The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everybody. It's Kat Sadler, and this is It Sure Is a Beautiful Day. I've spent decades in TV broadcasting and conducted hundreds, if not thousands, of interviews in the span of my career. And on this show, the conversations continue. My goal is that every episode feels entirely brand new, but also like coming home. Let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to It Sure Is a Beautiful Day. I am Kat, and I am so stoked that you are here. However you landed here, you found me, and I hope you stay. I hope you stay and come back every single Tuesday because we're doing some good stuff here, and I'm having so much fun. I'm having so much fun. I mean, for any of you who are new, you know, I did have another podcast um, for about a year and a half. And of course I was on TV, but I just, this brings me such fulfillment and it's so rewarding to, to have these interviews with these, these women, these people, not just women and conversations and really just dig in and just be so, I guess, free in this space to just be. So I'm having an a ball. I'm glad y'all are here again. And oh, and I hope you're subscribing. I mean, I got to do the business. I hope you've subscribed. If you if you haven't, please, please do that. That keeps me on the air. And I, of course, want your feedback. So rate and review us and even follow us on Instagram at ABD with Kat. And perhaps you missed, you know, the first premiere episode where I really laid out It sure is a beautiful day. What is that? Why? You know, the whole thing. But really it is because I've always been that person. I mean, literally since I can remember, I am innately optimistic. Okay. So even if it's all going to hell, I somehow try to find the silver lining. And just even as a little girl and as a young woman, I guess I just have naturally always had a rather cheery disposition. So that is just kind of how I am wired so I, I say that a lot around my friends and my family or whomever is around. You know, I, I have practiced in my adult life really being in the moment and noticing what is around me. And when I like take a walk with my dogs, I'm really trying to be there with my dogs. And I'm really trying to look at the flowers and see the trees. And all of that grounds me and gives me a real sense of peace. If you've never done it, try it because it really works. We're so in our heads and so on to the next. And we're always so out of body really because we're never, or I should say it is easy to not be where you are. But anyway, when you are in the moment more, I think you see the the beauty and the mundane more. So even if it was a cloudy day or kind of a sh- so shitty weather, I, I am like, God, it's a beautiful day. And I really do mean it. So anyway, that was kind of the the background for this show and why I thought, you know, that's, you know, I've always kind of wanted a morning talk show. Well, this is kind of my version of that. Um, but I can do it any time of day, which is also lovely. Um, and from bed, like I am right now uh, in my sweats. So anyway, that's the show. And again, just to revisit, sometimes I'll be doing interviews. Sometimes it'll be my, my sidekick 
Kate and I just kind of getting into it. And you're going to meet all kinds of people and that are near and dear to me on this show too, because anything goes and I can do whatever I want. I also love that about this show, but I do want you to love it. So again, give us that feedback and let us know what you're thinking um, and what you want to hear more of, because that's the community that we're creating. You know, what do you, what stories do you want to hear? What issues do you want us to really explore? What topics do you find fascinating? So I would love to hear that from you. So today though, today, this makes me so happy to bring you guys this conversation. I was glued to the TV for most of 2020, like probably so many of you. I shouldn't say most of 2020, but certainly in the spring of 2020 when the pandemic hit, on the couch, watching the news, paralyzed by what we were learning, right? So watching so much TV. And then in the fall, especially too, leading into the election, also glued to the news and what was happening. And well, gosh, and I'm skipping over the summer. I mean, the summer with the protests and and the marches and, and everything going on with the unrest in regards to to the police brutality and the and the George Floyd of it all and everything. So pretty much, okay, so I take it back. I was watching TV all year, um, but I was watching CNN, okay? So that's my, that is my national news of choice, I will be honest. And one of the reasons for that is because of a girl named Caitlin Collins. CNN's now chief White House correspondent, Caitlin Collins. And maybe you don't know her by name, but if you flip through the channels at all, chances are you have seen her. And she's this gorgeous young woman with this beautiful brunette hair blown out to perfection. She, you know, I think became kind of known for her gold hoops and wearing her turtlenecks on occasion. But most days, right there in front of the White House, right? And if she's not in front of the White House bringing us the news, she would be in the press room and she would be going toe-to-toe live around the world with President Trump at the time. Now, former President Trump. Anyway, I was so impressed with her work. Having been on TV two decades and some change, mind you, covering celebrity news, the skills required or being live or reading a prompter or, you know, that I certainly had some high pressure situations, uh, even though I wasn't, you know, in DC on Capitol Hill, but I, I know how hard it is and I know how hard it is to make it look good and easy when it is not. And I just would watch her and I was just so, I was like a proud mom at home on the couch. I was like, oh, she's doing so great. Oh, she's so good. Oh, she never skips a beat. She is flawless. And so I, DM'd her like I do. And I just complimented her. And I just wanted her to know that I thought she was absolutely killing it and to keep up the great work and that she had a fan in me. And so anyway, we became Instagram friends and it was so nice to hear back from her. And and then um, when I set out to do this new show, she was top, top, tippity top of my list where I was like, I want to interview Caitlin Collins. I want to know more about this woman, how she ticks, where she came from. Little did I know, little did I know that she literally, her first real on-air job full-time is the job she has now. And that is extremely rare. I mean, 
I get questions and I've gotten questions from mostly younger women my whole career. You know, what should I do? What's the best route to be on air? What path should I take? Should I study uh, broadcast journalism? Do I go to a, a news market? Do I go to a really small market? Do I come straight to Hollywood? You know, which by the way, I always say there's there's really no right answer to that question. But But the fact that Caitlin is on air with so little experience and is as accomplished, or I should say as, as good as she is without having done the grind of, you know, that muscle over and over and over again to get good, which is what I had to do. I was in local news for 10 years failing miserably, or at least really, I wasn't so good at the start. Let's put it that way. CNN would not have wanted me on their airwaves. So she's just such a natural and She's only been at it, you know, four years or so. And then this huge promotion. And right before the conversation I'm about to bring you was right before her 29th birthday. So you go, Caitlin. And I was just thrilled she said yes. And I was even more impressed after speaking with her. So thank you, Caitlin, for for letting us in literally to the basement of the White House where we did our Zoom um, and where you'll get to hear and learn more about this absolute rising star. She is just getting started. I promise you that. So enjoy. Here it is, Caitlin Collins and me. It sure is a beautiful day when you get to have a conversation with the lovely Caitlin Collins from CNN. Thank you so much for hanging. Thank you for having me. And it is great to finally kind of meet whatever we want to call this. It's not actually meeting, but it counts, I, know. I think. I've been sliding in Caitlin's DMs now for a <laughs> long time. Um, I, I've been such a fan, like so many people listening. I was glued to my television, still am, but I mean, maybe not quite as much admittedly, but I mean, through the pandemic and the election and last summer and the marches, I would always turn on CNN and I would watch you. And I was just in such awe of how polished and professional. And I mean, you never skip a beat. And I was just like, this girl, I'm DMing her and I'm just going to throw some praise her way because it's so much harder than it looks. And you are just so talented. So I, I told you that and you were so kind to respond. And then I said, let's, let's have you on my show. But that was how long ago? It was like six, eight months ago or something. It was a while ago because I remember it was when we were having super long days, longer than normal. But your message was so nice. Like it really getting moment, having moments like that and getting messages like that from you and people watching it really, you realize just how widespread your coverage is and what's happening and what's going on. And it was so nice. I think you sent that when I was having like a rough, crazy day. Mm. And it was just a nice, also being a woman on social media, it's nice to get a nice message. Yeah, <laughs> and, no, and exactly. Not always criticism sometimes. So it was really nice. And I loved it. I have I have a thousand and one questions about your work <laughs> and, and how you got to be the chief White House correspondent for CNN. Congratulations on the promotion, by the way. Um, you, but I think you. people, I think people like to hear, you know, or to paint a picture almost when they're listening to these podcasts and these conversations. So 
I can see you. It's early morning for me. I'm having my very like first cup of coffee. I got out my Biden Harris mug for you. <laughs> I have brought in the, the little DC to the conversation. <laughs> Obviously, you're you're in Washington. What where is this room you are right now? Technically, I'm in a basement. <laughs> you look like you're White in a House bunker basement. somewhere. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, bunker mentality, really. Um this is the White House booth. This is the CNN White House booth that I'm in. It's tiny. As you can see, a ton of TVs behind me. We have four on each wall so we can watch CNN, watch other channels, watch White House camera feeds. And this is, if you're someone who's never been to the White House before, like most people, where you see the briefing room on TV, this is beneath that. So it used to be a swimming pool. And then <laughs> next to it was all these offices. And yeah, an indoor White House swimming pool. And I can't remember which president drained it. And then um, we've got a few offices. Draining the so swamp like has all new meaning. Yeah. But I'm <laughs> yeah. not a comedian. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. It was good. Good DC humor. And so it's basically just all of the news outlets are down here in the basement. And some people have desks. The TV units usually have little booths that we can hang out in since we have producers and reporters and photojournalists and everybody in here. And so that is where... When you don't see me on camera in front of the White House, this is where I am. So most days, this is your, your this is your little spot down below, yes. down under, no windows, no nothing. That's got to be hard too. And no service either. That's I was just ah. talking to Tara from PR. We have like you have no service down here. You have to be on Wi-Fi or you can't call anyone. You're just kind of like sequestered in Gosh. this little booth. Well, I want to go go back to the beginning for you just a little bit because, you know, I think there's there's a lot out there about how you went to the University of Alabama and you thought at first, you know, maybe I'll do, study chemistry. That's what my sister did. And you really weren't clear or or certain like so many people, I think, when they go to college. I had no clue. I did not declare my journalism major till I was a senior. But you ended up veering into journalism and then how much longer after that and graduation were you like, boom, on CNN with your, really your first on-air full-time international job? I mean, I'm making it sound like it happened really fast, but but tell us how, how that came to be. No, it, it was pretty quick. And I think also it was surprising because I hadn't done, you know, any broadcast journalism in college. That was a whole new thing for me. And I moved to DC after about a month after I graduated. I knew I wanted to be here, you know, in the heart of things, see what was going on. I was really interested in politics and just how Washington worked and what was going on there. And so I was here and I worked for a smaller online website when I first got here. That was really just how I got familiar with like living in a city and like moving away from the South where I'd been my whole life. And then once Donald Trump was inaugurated, I started covering the White House and you know, that was when we were in the heyday of these press briefings with Sean Spicer. And we carried them live every day because it was just sometimes they were, you know, hard, insane to watch starting from day one, which, you know, everyone remembers, of course. And it was shortly after that, that I was approached by CNN about starting here. And I was kind of nervous just because of what you just said, it is such a platform and it is so big and you are speaking to you know, not just the audience in DC on Capitol Hill and in the White House and your sources, but also out in the nation, out in the world, you know, other countries. Uh, when I get messages from people in other countries that say, you know, they're watching, you just re realize how big CNN's reach is. They can do, you know, what very few other channels can do. And it's so impressive because then you're, you know, when you're just like in all of your colleagues, that's a really good 
feeling. And it also makes you feel like you got to step it up because they're out in like war zones doing this kind of reporting and you want to make sure, you know, that you're making them proud as a colleague too. Well, yes, but stepping it up when you're literally like a neophyte with very, you, you can't be like, I got 10 years experience. I know what I'm doing. You're, right. you're, you're stepping into this high pressure, high profile job not only even your CNN colleagues, I imagine, but you know, you're with the press corps. Were they were they supportive? Were they encouraging? Did you feel any like bad energy? Like kind of like, ooh, who's who's this young cat? You know, and and what's she about? And how how did she land this position? One thing that helped is when you start covering a new president, there's a lot of new reporters. That mm. they, it's kind of just a natural shift for some outlets to have just fresh faces, reporters who had been on the trail with that candidate. And so at the beginning of Trump, that was the situation where there were some definitely some people who had decades of experience, but also a lot of new faces. And also, I think the way that Trump kind of leveled all of that was that no one knew really how to cover Trump when he first started. Mm -hmm. It was something that it wasn't like he was a politician like Biden, who everyone has kind of he's been a known quantity for decades. He is someone who everyone is catching up on and figuring out how to cover and realizing you know, what this is going to look like, you know, when you do elect someone who doesn't have governing experience. So that helps. And Mm. the other thing that I think is wrong that people get, that people get wrong about the White House is they think you're all in competition with each other. All the reporters are kind of, you know, elbowing each other out. It's not like that at all. And I think Mm. Trump helps that, especially given his attacks on the media. And we realized how important it was to stand up for one another. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, everyone's cheering each other on. If you've asked a good question or broken a good story or had a moment where, you know, you had to push back on the president, it was a moment where you felt like the other people in the room did have your back. And so, and and that's really important. I think we've maintained that since Trump has left office, but that definitely helped being brand new to the White House. I didn't even know how to get into the White House when I first started covering it. It, it, I literally went from knowing nothing and then, you know, baptism by fire. Oh my gosh. I mean, not only that, and to hear, you know, your backstory of not really having been immersed into politics at all, it wasn't like you, I mean, watching you, it's like, I would think you were in the womb and knew about filibusters. <laughs> I mean, because you are that versed Good. on all this. I watch you and I'm like, oh my gosh. But to to hear that really politics wasn't even your your thing, until you were, what, no. in college or into college? Or when did you become fascinated? My point being that you come off as if you have known this for and been immersed in this world for so, so very long. So you take the knowledge piece of knowing uh, this beat so very well and then getting on TV with very little experience. You, how, how do you do that and come off so flawless? I read a lot. And I prep a lot and I'm just always trying to be, because I you do want to be on top of things because it's not just even, you know, the reputation aspect of it, of you don't want to make a mistake. It's also, you don't want to get something wrong and, and tell, if someone is only watching the news for 10 minutes a day and it's when you're on, you want to make sure everything is airtight and completely accurate and the best way to boil it down so everyone gets it if they're not, you know, paying attention to filibuster talk all day long. And so I think that is the way I approach it. But I think I think not having parents who were involved in politics helped because when I'm on, if I'm summing up, you know, a fight that's happening in the White House over policy or something that's going on with Capitol Hill, I think, 
how would I explain this to my dad who isn't watching this day in, day out, isn't aware of the intricacies, doesn't know who the national economic chairman is for the president? How do you explain that to him? And so that's really kind of how I I sum things up, I think, when I'm on air. That is great. And when you, let's say even the first year or two when you're on camera, were you the person who would record every one of your, your live hits and go back and watch and dissect your, your, your delivery or like you, because again, you make, you come across as someone who's done it for 20 years. I mean, you make it seem so natural. And I always got those questions from young girls, especially coming up who want to break into broadcasting. It's like, you know, what do you do? Kids take hosting courses. They, you know, they do it day after day on their iPhones. They get feedback. They, you know, knock on the doors of their news director. Like I did when I was an intern in college. How did you perfect your skills? I think it's good to watch yourself sometimes just Mm -hmm. to see, like you, you might have this weird tick that you don't know that you have and you won't like, you, you don't always know. It's like listening to your, if you leave a voicemail for someone and you listen to it and you're like, (laughs) that's not what I sound like. Yeah. But it is. Yeah. So I think it's important to watch yourself in that sense to make sure that you don't have something that you're doing that's natural to you, but maybe distracting to those watching. But then I think also you can't watch yourself too much because you'll get in your own head about it. You just kind of yeah. be, it's important to be conversational. I think that's why sometimes you see people who aren't, it's because they're in their head and scripted. And I don't script anything. I don't use teleprompter, or none of that stuff. I just, you just, it's best if you just know it and you're able to explain mm. it that way mm-hmm. than if you're memorizing. So, so I think it's just be conversational and like, how would I explain the news to someone in your family or sum it up mm-hmm. to somebody at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. I think that's what people are looking for on TV, not someone who is, you know, perfectly polished, you know, 100% of the time. They yeah. want a real authentic explanation of what's yep. happening. You're just talking a wolf in us, you know, on our couches. <laughs> yeah, wolf and cat. To hanging out with wolf and cat. Gosh. Okay. Well, about the kind of, what are your hours, by the way? Because that was another thing that crossed my mind in the last year. All of you, for that matter, I was like, you guys are always on. I feel like you have doctor's hours where you're like, you must be on call 24 seven. Anything can happen. Everything's breaking. What, what is your schedule? With Trump, even, I was like nervous to take a shower because I'd be like, something is going to happen these 10 minutes that I'm like away from my phone. Yeah. That's kind of gone away with Biden a little bit. But um, the, the hours are crazy just because it is, CNN is really good about when you're off, you know, make sure you're off and like take that time for yourself. But like when you're on, you know, that's part of you know, being a reporter. I think you have to like love that. You have to like really not want to, you know, have a nine to five hour. You want to get up, you're watching the news, we're on morning calls with editors talking about our reporting for the day. And then, Starting, I come into the White House around 11-ish, and then I'm usually here through Don Lemon, which on the East Coast is 10 p.m. So it's kind of like that. But you're also, you are kind of at the will of the news cycle. Because I remember when Trump got COVID that night, uh, we were wrapping up. I think there wasn't a ton of White House news that day. We were getting ready to leave. And for some reason, I had stayed a little bit later. And then we found out Hope Hicks had tested positive. And of course, naturally, that question was well, what, what's the president's exposure? Because he had just been with her that day. Mm-hmm. And so that ended up, I remember I was at work, that was around eight. I was at work till 5 a.m. the next morning. Ooh. And I remember going home and like sitting in bed and I was like, I should be exhausted. And I'm so wired right now. I can't go to sleep. Uh, 
What's your vice? Are you a Red Bull girl? Are you a coffee girl? How do you, how do you manage so little sleep? I'm sure that comes up quite a bit. A lot of coffee. A lot of coffee. I don't, I'm not an energy drink girl, really. Um, Probably good for you. Don't. Just coffee. Coffee (laughs) and wine. Okay. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Amen. Amen to that. Coffee. You like your coffee black? A little cream? Uh, I do the smallest dash of milk. No sugar. Mm, nice, nice. If anyone nice. wants to send me some coffee. There you go. <laughs> we'll get you some. We'll, I mean, true. I can imagine. Um, talk to me about Trump in particular, because that was another moment where I would watch you and be like, you go, girl. In that, in that, it is it is your job to get information and to get him to ask answer questions that he doesn't want to answer. And that's a lot of politicians, right? But you really held your own in those live, you know, press briefings. Um, and, and at one point, you were even banned from the Rose Garden. Um, yep. How did you take that? How did that come to be? And then, obviously, you 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 were back in the press room after that. But but what happened exactly? I think in those moments with the president really they can be intimidating, but you can't let it because that's another thing like getting in your head. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you're going in there and sometimes he would want to show and you would have, you know, we really prep for these briefings because we really do, especially during the pandemic, we had so many things we needed to ask about and wanted them to talk about. So you would spend all this time prepping, but then to go in there and like the bleach situation happened and everything that you've scripted just goes out the window and thought about and wanted to ask. So you have to be prepared for moments like that. I think also just to change your question on a second. Mm-hmm. And then I think um, with the moments with Trump in the press, obviously he, he, he admitted that was his goal. It was to try to undermine and discredit the press because he believed that then when something was negative but accurate, he could say, well, it's not true, even if it was. And so that was a moment where you had to realize it was so important to push back on that and not to let him you know, use his bullying tactics that he'd relied on for decades in New York and in his real estate business. And you had to, you know, make sure that you could push back on that in a way that you still, you got to keep your ultimate goal in mind, which is to get your question answered, or at least to hold him accountable about something or to find out like things, for example, like when he came out last year and said, wanted to open the country by Easter, which is so bizarre to think about now that we just had a second Easter living in this. And, you know, things are obviously getting better. But I remember that was, you know, you're sitting at home and you think, okay, well, by Easter, the president says. And so I asked, you know, what what is this based off of? Data, doctor's advice, what are you? And he was like, oh, I just thought it was a nice date. But so I think that like a moment like that is important because then it shows people watching, okay, well, like this isn't like a real timeline. Yeah. And so it's even moments like that that I think you just got to keep in mind when you were in those situations, which there were many. Yeah. But the banning, I mean, that's, I mean, personally and professionally, that had to be weird that you ended up making news because of your line of questioning or because of how powerful you were really at the end of the day. Um, what how, what did your colleagues or your boss say about that? And how was that resolved? Well, we did debate that. We debated not saying anything publicly just because we didn't want it to be another CNN versus Trump story mm-hmm. because that's not our goal. Right. But then we thought about it some more and the question was, well, what if they try to do this to someone else? Yeah. Or this is a precedent that is set that we kind of let pass by without marking right. it. Right. And that's why we decided to kind of, you know, we, we did it. I, I can remember on Wolf's show at five o'clock and 
We said, this is what's happening. They're trying to kick us out of an event that's open press. This shouldn't happen regardless of outlet. And it was purely in retaliation for the questions that I had asked Trump. And so even that we were, it was so obvious what it was. And I had kind of told the White House, I was like, you don't want to do this because this is only going to look bad for you. And people in the White House even reached out to me and were like, we know that this looks bad. Hmm. So it was just kind of one of those moments where we, we did make the decision of, is it worth the risk of making this seem like a media story? Or is it important to say, you know, this is, this is the marker we're setting down and you're not going to be able to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and nothing like that's happened since, has it really? They had a few more moments oh. where, and one, interestingly, during the COVID briefings, John Carl, who was previously with ABC, or was previously the White House correspondent for ABC News, still works for ABC News, he told me that he was writing a Trump book. And, and part of it, it was a story about how during one of the COVID briefings, Trump was in the room, left the briefing room. Mike Pence was in there. And Trump went up to upstairs and he didn't like that I was in the room. I, I, something I had done had irritated him. And he said, remove her from the briefing. And the press secretary was like, I can't, it's on being broadcast on TV. I can't walk in there and make this reporter leave. And he, he got, he blew up at his press secretary and called her weak, I think was the term. Because he just had those moments where I would irritate him and he would just want to, like he thought that as president, he could just kick reporters out of the room. Which to be clear, there have been a lot of presidents who have been frustrated with reporters and their coverage. But I think they've, you know, to a degree respected this First Amendment, you know, line, how important the press is. Wow. Now that he's not in office, is there any part of you that thinks one day I would love a a needed niece sit down with with former President Trump? Or are you over that? Is there have you asked all the questions you need to ask of that man? I would no, I think I would do an interview with him. Yeah. I think it would be interesting, not even just in the respect of post-presidency, but given the way he left his presidency, mm-hmm. that, I think it would be really interesting. And I think, but I think also there's, you know, obviously Trump was voted out of office. There is obviously still an appetite for him given how many people voted for him, but there's obviously also people who were ready to see different leadership and a different president. And my job now is to cover the new president. So I'm entirely focused on that, not Trump anymore. Right. Yeah. Even though I, you know, I still stay in t- t- touch with my Trump sources, talk to them. But I think right now, you know, you've got to focus on the task at hand and that's covering the Biden administration. Yeah. Day by day. Yeah. You get to ride on Air Force One, which sounds so cool. Um, how <laughs> to all of us, how often uh, do you do that? I mean, is that just like strictly during elections or, and, and what is it like? What is the protocol? So it's a lot. Mm. It, it's, it's really great because when you go, basically the way we've figured out how to not have a million reporters trying to get on is you have one person from each medium. So like mm-hmm. when I go, I'm representing everyone on TV. I'm the only TV reporter oh, on there. And it's crazy. We go pretty often actually, because we rotate basically. And so it's great because you go to the airport by yourself. You have to get swept. Of course, you do all kinds of security checks. They've already got you fingerprinted and everything in the system. And, but you're there on the tarmac outside Air Force One before the president has arrived because they chopper in from the White House to the airport. 
And so it's just, you know, you get on board and they have like a little slip with your name on it that, oh, I actually have a picture of it right here. It says, welcome aboard Air Force One. And they put your name on it. It's oh, sitting wow. there. You know, they serve you lunch. It's really, the staff on Air Force One is amazing. They serve you lunch. They're really lovely and great. But it's also really interesting. I think this is something that I didn't know about before I started covering the White House. And that I think a lot of people don't know about is that often when you go on a trip on Air Force One and you're on the way back, the president will come back. And usually it's off the record, but he'll just chat with reporters Mm -hmm. on the flight back. And that's a moment with him. And that we often had with Trump. Trump did it almost every time I was on board. He came back to talk to us, which was also speaks to, you know, it's all off the record. So obviously I won't repeat the contents, but it does speak to this idea that, you know, he hated the press. He didn't want to be around us. I think he very much sought our approval all the time. And Mm -hmm. so he'd often come back. But also it's these unvarnished moments where they feel like they can be more candid and they can speak to you about what's going on. And that's one of the most fascinating parts of being on Air Force One beyond being on this massive, safe plane and all of the trappings that come with it and just how cool it is to climb the steps of Air Force One is also, you know, having a off-the-record chat with the president in that way is also something that is is a cool part of the job. I guess you can't include that in your book one day, huh? You're not allowed to <laughs> ever to share. Trump for, ever, yes. I'd ask Trump to make it off the, uh, the record. <laughs> can you even use your phone and take selfies when you're on Air Force One? Is that permitted? Yes. You have no service on Air Force One. So oh. no access to Wi-Fi, which unless there's like an emergency, they'll turn it on and let you use it. But um, they have a phone on board. Basically, like if something really crazy happened, Mm-hmm. the wire reporters on board would go up, use the phone to call their desks and send back a dispatch, basically, if like the president made news or something happened. Um, but no, you can take pictures. We bring a camera just in case they want to do on the record and then we can record it. Mm-hmm. But um, like, for example, what a, whenever the president was um, in his scandal about paying off the porn star, the hush money yeah. right before the election, mm-hmm. the last time I think he let the cameras in the press cabin on Air Force One be turned on was then when he was asked, what did he know about it? And he claimed at the time to know nothing, which of course we know now isn't true. But that was, I think the last time it was a moment that was replayed on TV over and over. And I think after that, he was very camera shy on Air Force One. Interesting. So, so fascinating. Wow. You were promoted to chief White House correspondent for CNN. Is it true you are the youngest ever in the history of that position? I, I think so. I'm turning 29 this week, so maybe not for long. Aww. But no, I, I I do think it's true. And we also, we've had a few female White House chief correspondents before, but I think that I'm the youngest and the, of that nature. So congratulations. So how did that promotion come to be? Did you, did you ask for it? Were you awarded it? How did that happen? CNN is really good about when they realize someone, you know, has done the work and put in the hours. They're good about rewarding you without it having to be this appeal kind of situation. It happened when, because when, when they hired me, I was a reporter. Then they promoted you to correspondent, which is just different in TV language terms. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a similar situation with this one where it seemed like a possibility, but it wasn't really clear. We didn't know how the election was going to go. You know, so much is up in the air. We were focused on a president disputing the election that I really had not put much thought into it. Mm-hmm. And then I got a call in December about it. And it, it's just really exciting because it is, it is nice when you do work for so long, miss so many Friday nights, 
miss so many weekends for four years, it is a reward in and of itself yeah. um, to get that opportunity. But also, you know, we have a great White House. Our whole White House unit is amazing. And so it's really a team effort where everyone is paying attention and double checking things and making sure we're right. And so that's what's the best part about it is really having like this comprehensive team all focused mm-hmm. on one beat. Yeah. Who would you say in your life, whose opinion do you care the most about in regards to your work? Is it a call from your mom? Is it a mentor? Is it a superior? Like, you know, we all have that person that we really like to check in with or who's watching our work and our delivery and, you know, what what big, you know, scoop you land. Like, who do you like to hear from? Who matters the most? I love to a gut check with my family on things just because of, you know, they live in Alabama still and like to see what they care about is really important to me. But I think probably the best compliment you get when you break a story and you're reporting it or covering something is to hear from your sources and to hear from people involved in it that you're covering when they say that was completely accurate. And like, that is the best way to sum up what just happened and this disagreement that happened inside the West Wing meeting. That really is the best, I think, to know that you covered something completely accurately from someone who was there that's really the best because, you know, that is your goal is to make sure, you know, you're not there, but tell it like you're there, report it like you mm-hmm. were there, bring people like they were there. And so I really think that is probably the best. Yeah. It's funny. You use that word accurate. There's this word truth, you know, facts, all <laughs> of which have been somewhat debatable all of a sudden. You think they're absolutes, but it's things have certainly Wrong. And yeah. And social media it plays a big part in that. And the internet plays a big part in that. Does it frustrate you when you are so close to it to see it, what is actually accurate, and then to see it disseminated in such different ways? Yes. And especially with the pandemic. I mean, this is something that it's not, the science is there and the science speaks for itself. But, you know, so often with, even with friends and you realize, you realize the impact that you have on people and what people listen to and when I do think social media has made it harder because people think Facebook and the information they're getting there is the same that they're getting on CNN or on any of the other channels or papers. And obviously that's not the situation. And so it can be really frustrating to, to see that. And that, that I think is why Trump got so much coverage of that because, you know, he was disputing science or refusing to acknowledge it. The mask thing I think is probably one of the most atrocious because we know that could have changed lives if everyone had just worn a mask. It could have saved lives, but it became a political football, not just from the president, but from a lot of sides. And it's frustrating because I'm spending all day talking to the COVID task force and the Surgeon General's office and other staffers and just all these people that are the field experts on this. And then someone's like, well, my aunt wrote on Facebook that Dr. Fauci lied about the effectiveness of a mask. And so it it does get frustrating in that sense of making sure, because you know what the truth is and Mm -hmm. you can do your best to report it and say it as concisely and, you know, conversationally as possible, but it doesn't mean always that people will believe it. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Caitlin when she's not at CNN, if you don't mind. Um, Caitlin, I'm talking about you in the third person now. Um, what would surprise what would surprise people the very most to learn about you? Ooh. 
Because again, you know, we see and what you give us via your job, your gorgeous blowouts. <laughs> you're always <laughs> polished. Your whole turtlenecks and your hoops became a thing, you know, yes. if, if you're if you're on social media. But but you know, from your friends and your family when you're kicking it and you are actually off work, off the clock, as as seldom as that is, what are you doing or what might surprise us? I think I'm pretty low key when I'm not at work just because I am a very intense person when it comes to work and I completely pour myself into it. And that's why I'm at work all the time. So when I'm not, I like to kind of turn off in that sense that it's pretty low key. You know, I've, I'm usually with friends or even, you know, spending time reading something that's not about the news. I love to read fiction just because it's like, takes your brain to another spot. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing that I spend a lot of time doing when pre-COVID was I'm a huge Alabama football fan. And so obviously I went to school there. I grew up there. That mentality hasn't really like in DC, it's not on Saturdays, people do other things. They watch, they go to brunch and they do other things. They don't just watch football. Like in the South, everyone watches the game on a Saturday. And so in the fall pre COVID, I would go home probably three or four times a season and go to a game with my dad or with some friends and just go back. And it really is nice to like get out of the DC bubble and like have this moment, you know, seeing what other people do, how other people live, reminding yourself that that is a lifestyle that other people have. Yeah. Is it true that you've never seen Star Wars? Yes. Oh, well, no. Do I get kicked out now? <laughs> no, I just, I saw that somewhere and I, I, it's, you know, it does put you in a, in a, a crop of people, you know, I, I wish that for you one day. It'll always be there, Caitlin. You I know. Go get it later, I suppose. I know. And I actually have some family in DC that are really big Star Wars fans and they have like, they're just are all over it. And they were also shocked when I told them I'd never seen it, but I don't know. I don't watch a lot of, I'm not, I don't watch a lot of movies or TV or anything like that, but it is on my list. When I posted <laughs> that people, I got so many responses of people either horrified or agreeing with me that they'd never seen it either. So I'm not alone. My yeah. comfort. Well, it is quite an undertaking if you're kind of this far behind. There's been so many offerings. Right. Um, I get it. I get it. Where do you begin? Where do you begin? And then I also, I mean, you just kind of answered it that you don't really probably have time, but don't you don't like binge a lot of TV because I saw, I am binging Mad Men right now for the first time. So and good. I'm obsessed. I mean, I, I've interviewed John Hamm and January Jones over the years, but I always got, you probably understand, like you only get a little bit of everything. You don't have time to like deep dive into every single show and movie out there or for you, you know, different uh, po- political themes. You have to kind of get what yeah. you need and keep it moving because you got to turn out the news every day. But I am so obsessed. And then I was watching, I was like following some Mad Men memes thing on IG and I saw you had liked one of them and I thought, yep. oh, maybe she likes Mad Men. That's such a good Instagram account, by the way. I can't yes. the name of it, but it's so funny because it's all these like, because I, I watched Mad Men probably like in college. I watched it when it came out and I was obsessed with it and wanted to like have a bar cart in every room and like, <laughs> live this, go to like PJ Clark's in New York. Yes. All of this lifestyle that they do. but um. Mad Men is so good. Succession is one that I finished recently, a little oh. bit behind. Oh, so good. I'm like dying for the third season. Oh my gosh. I'm upset. I, the whole show, yes, highly recommend for anyone who has not heard it or watched and it. The it's whole great. cast came to CNN to, I was actually at our office in New York 
and pre-COVID again, and the whole cast was there. And I missed them by minutes, I think. And I was devastated to hear that because I love it. But um, the other thing I do watch a lot that is my guilty pleasure, Bravo. I'm like a big Real Housewives franchise. Like, I just, I love it. I love the drama. I love watching all of these, you know, rich, wealthy women. And they're like on these like fabulous trips and just living lives that are completely foreign to me. And I I love watching that. Live through them. While you yeah. can, while you can, what which uh, franchise is your favorite? Which city? I just started Salt Lake because I've heard that one oh, is wow. amazing and is getting great reviews. And obviously, one of their characters was in the news recently. But um, I don't know. I have a soft spot for Beverly Hills, Orange County, New York. So Do you ever make it out here to California? I haven't been there lately, but uh, I did before. I would come every now and then. I'd come. We actually came with Trump several times because mm. he did some fundraisers there. And mm-hmm. um, but those were always quick trips. Like you're on the ground for like 28 hours and then you're back. Wow! Wow! How do you have a social life, or do you? You have one. You it's just condensed. And uh-huh. I have very understanding friends where like, I've. I think once I had scheduled birthday drinks for a friend and. It was a Friday night. It, was, it wasn't even until like 9 p.m. I was like, okay, we're safe by 9 p.m. I get there and Trump fires his chief of staff and I had to come back to work. Oh, so man. it's just, you have yeah. moments like that where you have very understanding friends who are happy to, if you cancel, they're fine with it. They're also happy to meet you if you're like, hey, my night's actually free. Let's go get dinner. You know, you have to have moments like that and friends like that. And luckily I do. Well, yes, that is super, super important. I'm sure they understand. And and I'm sure they're so proud of you, which is so cool. Everything you've accomplished in such a short time already. And and I know you are, from what I have gathered, I understand you're not a, a big long-term goal setter. I mean, look at you know where you have found yourself now through, of course, a lot of hard work. But do you do the five-year plan? Do you do you want to run CNN in five years? Like what's 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 <laughs> no. the dream? What's the dream gig? Or are you living it? I think that's a that's a good way to frame it because it is. I do think it's you have to take it for the moment in time that it is, and you are where you are, and you're enjoying what you're doing while you're doing it. And I think there is a fine line between looking ahead and having goals, which I think is incredibly important because otherwise, you know, what are you doing every day, and how do you establish something. But I think the other thing is you don't want to be so focused on what's in the future that you're not enjoying, you know, where you are now. And that's very much where I am. And and mm-hmm. covering a new president and being, you know, in a different title, it, it is a different challenge. And so it may not be the challenge in the way that was so obvious with Trump, but it is, it's different. And so I think that's just what I'm focused on right now and enjoying that and seeing where it goes. I mean, the whole world could change. Yeah, I've got a four-year plan. It's just Biden for four years, and the whole yeah. world I think could change after that. And so, yeah. I think it's it's like what we do every day. You just follow the news cycle, see where it takes you, and you know we'll see where it goes in four years. Well, whatever you have been doing, you have been doing it well. You are by all means successful. Do you have a mantra or philosophy that you kind of wake up and say to yourself, or something that you live by that that people might resonate with? I don't have anything like short and pithy, but I I truly do think that of all the skills that you want to be successful in life and all the things that you need, working hard is the most important. And that is what I think will get you the furthest 
and will help you the most when you lack in other areas. If you are willing to put in the work, that I think can get you anywhere. Yeah. Well, last question for you. Um, because everyone defines a beautiful day differently. It sure is a beautiful day. Um, what What is the <laughs> definition of what makes a beautiful day to you, Caitlin? I think a beautiful day in terms of in professional terms is having a really good moment where, as we were talking, you know, you have these other hours that you put in where you're working hard and missing fun times with friends or family and focused on the work. You know, there, there's a reason you do all of that. And that is because it pays off when there is one really good moment. And whether that's breaking a story, asking the right question, you know, covering something that where you get home at 5 a.m. and you're like, I can't believe I just did that or that just happened. Those are the moments that really make all of, you know, the Friday nights and early mornings and all of those work hours worth it. So I would define it that way, I think. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough. I know you're like the busiest lady in Washington. So I just appreciate you taking the time so, so very much. It's so great to get to know you. I know. Well, I would love to come back anytime. This is amazing. Your questions are awesome. And so thank you for <laughs> well, thank having you. me. Thank you so much. You're, you're invited back anytime. And when you're in California, when we start doing these things in real life, in person, let's do it again. Yes. And we will have wine that time. I'm going to insist yes. on it. I'm going to be your mother <laughs> and I'm be like, Twist we're doing <laughs> wine and this is your off the clock kind of sort of feels like work, but I promise it won't feel like work. How about that? <laughs> sold. Deal. Okay. Have a beautiful day. I will hopefully speak with you soon. Thank you again. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And a reminder, you can catch a brand new episode of It Sure Is a Beautiful Day every Tuesday. Please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And of course, I'd love to hear from you. So leave me a rating and leave me a review. Also, follow us on social media for all the behind the scenes action and more info. That's at I am Kat Sadler on Instagram and at ABD with Kat. Talk to you next Tuesday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.